and welcome to Tech Live. Stephanie Christopher here, Chief Executive of the Executive Connection. Tech Connect CEOs, executives, and business owners to the world's largest business leader network. There's something about spring. I don't know what it is, but there's something about spring that makes you want to get new ideas, discuss new ideas. So it's exciting to have Stephanie back in the studio for Tech Live and discuss some ideas. Thanks, Leah. It's great to be back in the studio and great to be in spring, absolutely. Our guest today on Tech Live is Matt Tice. Matt is an expert on business strategy, uh, a real focus on disruption and what it is that can really help businesses succeed in whatever context they find themselves in. Matt is a published author. He is a, a speaker to small and large groups of business owners on exactly this topic and you are very welcome at Tech Live. Matt Tice, welcome this morning. Thanks for having me on such a beautiful spring morning. It is a beautiful spring morning. So, Matt, when we first talked about this topic, you said something that was really interesting to me. You said that COVID is just like any other disruption. What's the big difference for COVID then for businesses? I put a lot of thought into this. The disruption comes in lots of different uh, in different ways. And here we are now with uh, a broad-based disruption that affects almost every business, mm. government, not-for-profit, everybody, really. Um, I'm sure you could see, even in your home life, you can feel how this disruption is sort of washing like waves through uh, everything that we do. But it is fundamentally just disruption. And the, the playbook, if you will, or the, the way we need to think about how to get through it is probably not that different than many other types of disruption. And disruption isn't always a bad thing. So there are a number of businesses that this has been a really positive time for as well, aren't there? Well, I like to say there's never been a more exciting time to be in business, really. Yeah. If you think about... You keep saying um, that. If you like I saying do, that, that's I say good. it over and over again. <laughs> it, it's one of those times where we had the GFC, which was our kind of test case, and now here we are with COVID. And yeah. I think that business owners and CEOs and any interested stakeholder can look back on this time and say, what have I done that's uh, really capitalized on the opportunity that's uh, that's in front of us? Um, whilst I don't want to downplay any of the suffering that's going on where, you know, certainly some businesses and individuals in different parts of the world and in Australia too mm. are, uh, are doing it tough. But uh, I think we can find tremendous amount of opportunity here. Yeah, it's something, and we will get to that. Another thing that I've really reflected on, this isn't linear, is it? Because when we were first talking, I think it was kind of April, May, when you and I first were discussing this particular disruption, there was an idea about build back better. Okay, well, this has happened. We've made it. We've moved on. Now it's time for businesses to build back better. This has just changed so much since then. And it's clear that it's certainly a long haul game here. Mm -hmm. What impact has that had on your thinking about this? Well, I don't, I don't really differentiate too much the time frame because we've gone through phases, really. I think the, you know, the initial kind of shock phase is largely worn off. And, you know, I think that at least my mindset has been we have to plan for the worst, but, mm. uh, you know, really we, ha we also have to operate in the moment too, which mm. is uh, finding that dichotomy is, uh, is really important. But it is going to be a long haul. I don't think it'll be you know, back to normal, whatever normal looks like when we come out on the other end of this until probably 2023, 2024. Yeah. But the world is different now. A lot of the things that we saw on the horizon are much closer to us. Mm. Um, and as, as a consequence of that, it's, uh, uh, from my perspective, it's a disruption that will create and destroy many new industries and many new opportunities, which 
I think will be uh, will be quite exciting in, in profound ways. Yeah, great. Okay. So when you talk about things on the horizon being much closer, well, technology is is clearly one of those. That's the shift that businesses and individuals have made so quickly in a matter of a couple of weeks yep. is really significant. What other things do you think? Well, one of the things I think is really fascinating, I've been speaking a lot about this, is, you know, kind of the if you mix the geopolitical situation with the macroeconomics, with the microeconomics, and kind of look at kind of long-term trends about nationalization and, um, if you will, the the sovereign power of, uh, of nations, mm. it's kind of pushing us back into what I would describe as a more uh, more of a trend towards localization and probably we'll see more repatriation of business manufacturing, for example, back into Australia and into other economies because we've had to operate this way, which I think brings you know some interesting opportunities. But you know when you mix that up with technology and when you mix that up with now people spending time with their families, there's a lot of fascinating kind of uh, you know kind of subtle trends that were coming mm. that uh, are going to affect our lives really in important ways. Yeah, it's interesting that that nationalism idea and the kind of localism. I remember Warren Hogan over 12 months ago talking about that as a theme when he was talking about the economy. But that's just absolutely amplified with even conversations about borders anyway. That's really become something significant for businesses to deal with, hasn't it? Right. And if you look at kind of what's happened in technology with, uh, I'm fascinated also with health and education, how Mm. quickly we all knew that uh, telehealth was on the horizon. It yeah. was a big part of, for example, the NBN business case was to uh, make health available to the rural communities. But mm. you know, somehow, on one hand, the government was supporting it; on the other hand, not. But mm. literally over you know sixty days, you know, the telehealth is now mm. right here in front of us. It's a real thing, and people are interacting with that community in a very different mm. way. Similarly, with education, I couldn't even imagine my kids being able to operate on a uh, online in. Uh, it's a funny story. My son goes to an art school, which yeah. is a, uh, there's not a techie amongst any of those people. And they turned the whole thing around in a single day from, you know, full classroom experience to uh, largely a virtual experience overnight. That's and, amazing. Uh, just I'm fascinated. When we want to get things done, we can do it. So part of it was perhaps we'd been preparing for this for a long time. Maybe our mindset had shifted further than we thought it was. But what was such a big learning for us all, wasn't it, as business leaders, how quickly we can do something if we actually need to. That's true. And the thing with these trends is they're always on the horizon until they're not, Mm. right? So they're out there, they're out there, they're out there, and then they're on your doorstep and you have to operate, right? So that's how uh, I've been fascinated watching leaders who have, you know, had to pivot and had to make decisions at a speed Mm. that perhaps in their whole career, Mm. they've never been been pushed to... uh, you know, get the noise out of the way and focus on the fundamental decision to be made. You know, I think there's a lot of lessons to take out of that, watching how uh, how human beings can adapt when, they're, when, they, when they need to. Yeah, okay, absolutely. So in that context, there's two ways that business leaders can go here. And this is where you show two slides, the cute little deer in the headlights, the most beautiful slide, and then the horrible wolf eating the cute little deer that's not in the headlights anymore. So tell us about the deer and the wolf. How would a deer operate now? Well, I think the 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 instinct when there's disruption is to uh, is to pull back and be more internally focused. Mm. And and really, there's a pretty predictable pattern of behavior which uh, 
when disruption comes, especially a big disruption like COVID, really first to pull back and, you know, rip costs out of the cost structure, but at the same time, try to initiate demand, which, Mm. uh, you know, kind of those two things sound compatible, but really in some ways they're not, because as you're rushing to find new ways to, uh, to generate demand as demand's dropping and you're pulling out costs, that creates a situation where um, customers, employees, and other stakeholders start to suffer, which makes it worse. In the meantime, what you tend to be doing is pulling back investments in capability that would be uh, sort of fueling your future, which then create a situation where now you've made yourself less competitive in the short term, you've mortgaged your future in terms of being more competitive in the middle term, and then I guess what, what typically happens is that we tend to ride our existing business model into the ground mm. because we uh, generally are very inflexible about kind of the core model that's created value for us over a long period of time. Because you're assuming that the core is the only thing that will save you now because if I do a really good job on the core, we'll survive whatever the disruption is. That's right. And, and you know, because most models are built for largely stable environments, we mm. tend not to change them very often. And therefore, we don't challenge the assumptions that underpin those. And then when things come and they start to, uh, you know, rapidly accelerate, we're, 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 we're unprepared for that. And I guess if I could just add is the way we're programmed as leaders mm. is to plan in one direction, which is up. Growth. Which is growth. Yeah. We want more and more and more. And largely, that's a function of sweating our existing model to do more things, whether that be geographically or find new customer segments, et cetera. A lot of businesses operate that way. Yeah, it's a perfectly logical way to Mm. operate in a period of largely stable uh, environmental context. I've been in a lot of businesses that that's exactly the model when there's a disruption, just go straight to the costs. Mm. Cut the costs, but don't don't cut the expectations or the targets or whatever Right. with the same business model. So what's the alternative? Well, as you point out, the wolf and the deer, yeah. uh, I guess the lesson that we're, we try to get across is that first you have to be in an opportunity mindset in this yeah. environment. You've got to be on the front foot, hence the wolf, the predator. Mm. Um, the deer in the headlights was the other side of the analogy, so don't be on the back foot. But there are subtle changes to that basic model that I just described that can mm. help you significantly think differently about the environment. So first is... What we tend to do when things are really stable is we trade economic benefit for flexibility. Rather than thinking about how to take costs out, we talk about variableization, for example. So how do we increase flexibility, which allows us to bend like a reed, for example, in the uh, as the winds of change come through. And, you know, that way we can preserve our break even. And that's really about sharing risk around and, and also finding ways to you know, fundamentally change the cost structure to be more flexible. In other words, optimize for flexibility rather than a few extra basis points of margin. So when you say optimize for flexibility, are you talking just about the team? Uh, well, I'm talking about the operating model, okay. really. So, so that, tell us uh, more about that. Go into that a little bit more. Well, I guess the what, what kills you in, a, in times of disruption, when demand drops precipitously and mm. uh, fundamentally you run below your break even and you run out of cash, and that's obviously not a great place to be. Mm. But if you can have a flexible architecture for your operating model that allows you to variableize a lot of the costs, then as demand changes, you're not as sensitive to to those shifts. Yeah. And that also gives you the opportunity of uh, when demand increases to pile on more resources. And, and paradoxically, sometimes those resources may come from the outside and bring new thinking into the business, mm. which then gives you new opportunities to create value. Whereas... 
when we're shrinking and we're just worrying about taking uh, taking co- you know opex out of the business. Yep. You know, we can't shrink the glory, basically. And yeah. Therefore, we don't get any new blood. We don't get any new insights. So fixed versus variable costs is really important. I think it is, yeah. And so one of the things I know we've spoken about before is is a lease or where you actually physically work as an organization. I've been fascinated by, yeah. how, you know, it was uh, maybe two or three months ago that I heard the first case of uh, of a company that sort of started going through their fixed cost lines mm. and for example, corporate headquarters coming up on yeah. the line, you know, asking a fundamental question, do we need a corporate headquarters? Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah. recent, so now I've heard more and more stories about this and have initiated many of these conversations with clients. And uh, one of my favorites is uh, is a company that I uh, was working with in the U.S., a large food company who yeah. uh, they were looking at their headquarters line and everyone was thinking, well, the boss is never going to give up their office, right? And mm. you're sort of having this conversation and uh a brilliant comment from the sales guy came up, which was, there's only one question we really need to answer. After we've gotten through, will the finance, the admin, the legal people all be able to operate virtually, is does a customer ever show up to the headquarters? And uh, in this case, the answer was no. And it was fascinating. And the CEO, without even skipping a beat, drew a line through the head office. And uh, it had been there for 50 years and no more head office. Mm -hmm. And why would we have anything that doesn't serve the customer? And I love it. Because... Six, I don't know how many months we are now, eight months ago, Mm. that would have been such a bold move. Indeed. And transformational change and and tears, that would have been a really bold move, whereas that seems like such a simple thing now. And with my leadership team a week ago, we had the conversation, what if there was no lease? Mm. Just forget about whether there is or not. What if there was no lease? And I loved someone saying, well, you couldn't have 20 different hubs. I said, well, we do already. Because there's people working in 20 different places right now. Right. And it's a fascinating thing. And even pre-COVID, we always Mm. talk about one of the big complaints about uh, getting things done or executing your strategy is that we're resource constrained. And I never accept that. I don't think we're ever really resource constrained. Tell me more about that. Well, you kind of come to your point. You know, Mm. you can can leverage, for example, in your case, you can leverage your community for Mm. for hubs. Mm. In fact, we're sitting in in that right now. So uh, you don't need to carry that fixed cost because- you can engage with your stakeholders to find mm. ways to share cost and risk. You can work with your customers. You can work mm. with your suppliers, your consultants, your advisors, whatever. And um, there is an almost unlimited amount of resources if you're clever enough to tap into them. Mm. Mm, that's really interesting. Okay, so variableize your cost structures. What else? Yeah. Uh, look, I'm really all about the customer. So I think that there's never going to be a better time to fundamentally reshape or rethink at least how you engage with your customers and how, Mm. not just how you sell to them, but really the mindset has to be, how can you help your customers help their consumers or how can you help your customers navigate through this? But getting the insight about how you engage with the market is absolutely part of the wolf's playbook because Mm. what the deer will tend to do is retreat internally and think about, for example, how do I sell more of my stuff but it's the wrong question to be asking. The question is, at the frontier of the company and the customer, how will our relationship change? Mm. How will we help them solve their most difficult, challenging problems in this environment? How do we help them engage with their consumers and so on? It's now time to rethink who your customers are, which customers drive value, where the opportunities are, uh, and, to, and to really start co-creating with customers to find new ways of, uh, of creating value because the old ways aren't going to be relevant anymore in many cases. And also something that you know I hear a lot at the moment is people saying, oh, it's impossible for the sales guys because if they can't be face-to-face out visiting customers, they can't do their job. 
And I think, boy, that sounds really limited. And assuming a whole lot of things that may or may not be relevant for starters anymore, but that's a long way from co-creating a whole different way of engaging with your customers, isn't it? Right. Well, I have to drag you all the way to get you halfway, don't I? So, yeah. uh, But if you think about anyone that hears that story about it's impossible for the sales guys, anyone who's operated internationally knows that's completely bollocks because- mm. You know, mm. you've got to engage with people that mm. are not in front of you all the time. Mm. So, okay, so your sales team isn't, doesn't have that capability or maybe they're not incentivized to do that in the pre-COVID environment. But, you know, you have to be thinking differently about mm. what customer engagement looks like. There's an, a fundamental assumption here, isn't there, about whether we're going to, in good times, all go back to what we were able to do or see that all the cards have been thrown up in the air right now and reimagine. Absolutely. I think it's more fun to think along the lines of the latter because so do I. It, it's, it's not just, it's not going to go back. So we have no. to accept that. So we talked about the stages, right? So yeah. the first stage of, oh my God, here it's all mm. coming at us. But I think now all of us kind of understand, or most of us mm. understand that it's not going to go back to normal and there'll be mm. a new equilibrium. And, mm. and um, are we going to be a winner in that new equilibrium or are we going to be a loser? So mm. we don't want to be the loser. We want to we want to create new things and find new opportunities. And that really kind of comes to my next point, which mm. is, you know, part of the story is to go back and ask yourself, which assumptions were true pre-COVID and, you know, those that are no longer true, we need to move on from. But for the most part, we're largely unaware uh, of the assumptions that underpin our, our existing business model. Many, many companies are really unaware of their business model in general, so they don't really know what what the what the secret sauce in their recipe, if you will, is, and as a result, they tend to just try to keep replicating that model over and over again. But now we need to we need to break it, rebuild it, and find uh, find new ways to fundamentally a new recipe to create value. And those that try to stay with the old recipe might get lucky. They might because even a clock is right twice a day. They say um, <laughs> we may return to a new normal, but the goal should not to be to survive. The goal should to be emerge from the disruption a more competitive animal. And uh, that's, I think, no one's going to disagree with that. But do you have the courage to, you know, to, to break things down and rebuild them and try to find ways to, uh, you know, really shape your organization, your business model, your competitive story in a way that's uh, going to distance yourself from the pack? So let me ask you a pretty fundamental question right now. You said something there about people may not even know what their business model is. How do you work out what your business model is? Well, I mean, it's an interesting question, I think. because You know why people don't know? Because many leaders have inherited it. Mm. They've been given a business model with largely an implicit contract to perpetuate it. Mm. Um, and that in comes in the way of uh, the board will give you KPIs that you need to manage to, and all of those put you in a box. So you tend not even to think about it. Entrepreneurs, for example, are quite different because they will typically have created a new model, which, you know, essentially over time they'll, they'll adjust and iterate that until it starts to resonate in the market. Mm. And that's kind of we always talk about the difference between ins incumbents and insurgents, right? Mm. So the, uh, you know, the insurgent has a high degree of uh, awareness of that model and the incumbent not so much. Mm. And, and really, if you think about what is a business model, it's your recipe to create value. And there's, you know, four or five main components to that. You know, one is how you engage with the market, the value proposition that you offer, how you get to market or you go to market, how you uh, optimize your operating model to uh, to do that efficiently. And then importantly, your economic recipe, if you will. So how you make money. Mm. Um, 
and we're all vaguely aware of it, but uh, you know, some of us don't really think about it day to day because what we're trying to do is sweat that existing model to do more. Uh, you know, I always talk about McDonald's. You know, for for 50 years, McDonald's had a very rigid model, and uh, you know, essentially replicated that model in new geographies until they ran out of geographic growth, hmm. and then finally. Um, with more competition and so forth, they started to experiment with that model, and that has accelerated in more experimentation and more evolution. Hmm. But really, the the place to start is to understand what that recipe is and what under what what assumptions underpin that, hmm. and then you know slowly start to break it up. So, is there are there different ways to get to market? Is there a different economic recipe? Can I you know to to our earlier point, hmm. do I need uh, do I need to own all the resources or can I rent them all? Yeah. You know, it's all a big kind of it's like a bowl of soup. You know, you can hmm. combine ingredients different ways and you can get different flavors. It's cool. Okay. So away from the food analogy, back to the leader of the pack analogy, mm. uh, there's a couple more things that the wolf does in the playbook. Right. So I mentioned earlier that one of the things that the deer doesn't do is to uh, accelerate or make any investments in new capability. We'll tend to pull back on those. And mm-hmm. I think uh, the wolf will tend to prioritize more investment, prudently, of course, uh, into capabilities that will fuel their future competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. So in this environment, when everything's disrupted and uncertain, uh, it's time to, you can create quite a lot of distance between your company and the competition by making prudent investment in uh, IP or research or uh, whatever technology. Or a certain kind of person, you know, I guess. Or a certain kind of person, whatever yep. that portfolio of investment looks like to uh, capitalize on the trends that are coming at you mm. so that you manage the lead time during the disruption as we come out of it. That's mm. already mature in your organization while everyone else is trying to catch up. So it's counterintuitive to put the pedal on the floor on that one. Mm. But uh, again, what the wolf will tend to do is put more emphasis there uh, as compared to the deer. The deer. We'll pull back. And the last one? Well, I think it's time to have a shopping list. Uh, mm-hmm. And in that shopping list, we talk about mergers and acquisitions, but the shopping list could be talent as well. Mm. And I think... Uh, being selectively acquisitive in this environment is, again, counterintuitive, but there are bargains to be had. If you got a strong balance sheet, then having an M&A shopping list makes a lot of sense. But we should all be looking for our competitors are getting rid of their, you know, their best talent. We should be going out to find them. Mm. And uh, again, going against the grain and trying to build the team of the future mm. in a way that's going to propel us forward means that we have to be in a buying mode, not a selling mode. Which, as you say, the last two in particular could be quite counterintuitive. Absolutely. When your natural reaction is is protection. Exactly. So, and, and that's exactly the point. The natural reaction, our instincts, mm. are to uh, are to pull back and freeze, <laughs> yeah. and that, hence the analogy. Yeah. Right? So, the wolf is always on the on the prowl, looking for opportunity. That's kind of the mindset that we want people in, which is mm. look for opportunity, be strategic about it, make the choices, make the decisions. And even if you decide not to do something, at least you have optionality. It's good. How much time do business leaders have right now to do this? Because what you're talking about takes a lot of mental effort or, you know, it's when you're trying to keep things going. Is this something that the door's going to close on pretty soon? Or do you think it should be a continuous iterative process? What are your thoughts on that, Matt? Very much the latter. Yeah. I think in this crisis- I figured it, as I said it. <laughs> sure. In this crisis, in this situation that we're in, this current disruption, you're already late to the party if you're not uh, operating in that mode, I think. Yeah. But the the trick is to discover how to create a, a culture, if you will, and a leadership style that allows you to 
do this all the time mm. is to constantly iterate, to constantly be looking, looking at opportunities, always assume that disruption's on your doorstep and be the initiator rather, rather than the, uh, you know, the taker, if you will. Yeah. Okay. That makes really good sense. You talked about an incumbent versus an insurgent, which coincidentally is the title of your book, Insurgent. So tell us about your book, Matt. Well, I was fascinated in having reviewed hundreds of cases of disruption and, you know, sort of over time, we sort of found a pattern, which uh, which I've largely described to you just mm. now. But, uh, you know, there were there were three important questions that I really felt that needed to be addressed. And I felt that kind of our current way of thinking was was lacking significantly in that. So the project was really initially started out to explore these questions. And the first question was, you know, can we assume stability? So how stable is the environment surrounding us? And mm. in the research that we'd done, we'd kind of discovered that more and more leaders were feeling less and less comfortable about um, stability. And uh, mm. nine out of 10 CEOs in our in our survey sort of said that, uh, you know, they feel like the in, the environment is, is, is almost fatally unstable. And, um, and this was before the environment is, became yeah, fatally unstable. Well before COVID. Yeah. And um, so that was kind of the, the backdrop question. It's just, is it stable or not? And then the, kind of following on from that, to what degree are the, the mechanisms or the methodologies that we have available to us designed for stability or instability? So mm. that, was, that was a starting point. Then the second question that we were really fascinated on, uh, to explore was one that we've also just discussed, which was, uh, to what degree is your business model, if the environment is unstable, uh, robust to that change? And uh, again, we came back with 70% of uh, CEOs believe that uh, their their current business model would be obsolete within the next five years. That's a pretty big wow. deal. So no one really talking about it. A lot of people talking about business model innovation, but not really exploring this 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 theme in their strategy design efforts. So uh, and also in their innovation efforts, is those things don't come together very nicely in many organizations. So we found that most, if not all, organizations tend to be focused on um, strategic planning with with a mindset towards, as we said before, mm. extracting more out of a core business model, but not really thinking differently about that model. So that was the second question. How robust is your model to the to changing context surrounding you? And then the third question was, we're looking at companies that were being disrupted and wondering why sometimes very large companies and sometimes smaller companies would uh, come to grief so quickly, you mm. know, 12, 18, 24 months. Um, they mm. see an insurgent coming onto the, uh, onto the playing field. And uh, before you know it, you're out of business. Yeah. And uh, how could that happen? And we sort of got into this idea that um, what if you could capture the recipe or the playbook for the insurgent and apply it to the, the large, cumbersome incumbent? and find ways to teach organizations to operate like insurgents, highly nimble, outside in, um, very iterative, very customer proximate, uh, and again, kind of along the lines of the, the Wolf playbook, mm. highly variable and, and flexible. What came to kind of our discovery was that almost every single choice is an internal choice. And what I love about it, what I mean by that is that you choose to be incumbent. You choose to operate like an incumbent, although there are certainly market forces that push you in that direction. Um, from the board all the way down to the employee, uh, the way incumbents are structured is largely designed to optimize for what we call functional efficiency. Mm -hmm. In other words, doing what you do very efficiently. Mm. 
Whereas the insurgent is designed to operate for what we describe as customer or market proximity. So in other words, to be really close to the market, to really read the, the change in customer behavior and demand and so forth and adapt and, and shape their, their, their organization and their product set and so forth to those needs. Uh, over time, we call it the graduation day. Over time, the incumbent sort of forgets those things and tends to focus more intensely internally. Uh, as a consequence of that, they kick own goals, if you will, and therefore they make a lot of decisions which apply a certain set of heuristics about how they compete. And uh, though sometimes those decisions are counterintuitive to, or not counterintuitive, but counterproductive, if you will, to what's happening in the market. What I love about what you're saying, and and clearly the theme in the book, and which I have read, is about it's an internal choice. So with everything that you've talked about today, the way a business and a business leader chooses to respond to any disruption, indeed to this whole world disruption right now, is up to them and, and up to leaders and organisations and boards to really be very intentional about which way they're going to go here, yep. which playbook they're going to read, which recipe they're going to follow, which goal they're going to kick. We've, we've touched on all the analogies right now, which is great. But I think there's so much food for thought here, so much content actually that you've just given and explained it very clearly as well. So I think that's been a, a great insight for what leaders really need to be considering right now to not only survive but in fact thrive in any disruption now or in the future. Matt Tice, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So that's Tech Live for today. CEOs are in the business of making decisions and leadership is the art of execution. I'm Stephanie Christopher and look forward to talking to you next time.